Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. And, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in, in the Psalms. Um, we have this week, and next week will be our last one in the Psalms. And then, uh, so in two weeks, we'll actually be welcoming back our lead pastor, uh, Steve, who has been out on a sabbatical. And so in two weeks, he'll be back, officially back uh, with us, and um, we'll be preaching that Sunday. And so we look forward to, uh, to welcoming, welcoming him back. Um, and, uh, but this week, we're, we're in the Psalms. But before we dig into the, the Psalms, I just wanted to share one quick uh, kind of housekeeping item uh, with you. And so on September 7th, we're actually going to be relaunching our 8 a.m. service. Uh, So we'll have three services come the fall. And and the reason why we do that is we talk a lot here at Trailhead about being uh, on mission. And what we mean by being on mission is that we're committed to proclaiming the truth of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and inviting other people into our community, inviting them to believe uh, who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And uh, we've actually had a, a really good problem here at, at Trailhead. Um, once the, the summer ends and the, our college students come back and kind of families are, are home from their you know, summer vacations, um, it actually gets pretty tight in here in regards to, to space. And that's an awesome problem to have. And so what we're doing is we're asking our members and regular attenders if, if you will commit, I know this is early, um, but if you'll commit, if possible, to coming to the 8 a.m. service. Uh, because what that will do is that will free up space for our visitors, allow them to feel like there's a, there's a place for them here. Um, because if they walk into a crowded room, some of, uh, some of them may not feel welcome or may not feel like there's a spot for them. And so we're going to be inviting our members and regular attenders to be willing to do that. Or if you simply like, uh, if you're an early bird and you want to be able to come to an early service, we'll have that uh, for you. But I'll be, uh, we'll be sharing some more details on the city uh, in regards to that this week and give uh, you an opportunity to, to commit to doing that. Um, so be on the lookout uh, for that. Um, but this morning we're digging into to Psalm 8. Um, and actually before we do that, I just want to let you know, so at, at the last service, um, a friend came and shared with me after the service that as I was introdu- introducing communion, there was actually a spider hanging from the ceiling, like just a few inches behind me. <laughs> so I just want to let you know, if you see that again, let me know <laughs> uh, so that I don't embarrass myself. And they are recording this, and I'd rather that not be on a recording, me getting freaked out. Um, so if you see that, just just let me know. Just point. Um, don't point unless it's really there, though. <laughs> so... 
Anyway, I, I will thank you for that. Um, but anyway, so we're digging into the Psalms this morning. And, and what we're focusing on in the Psalms is Scripture talks about the Psalms being the songbook uh, of Scripture. And the Psalms, they're poems uh, written. It's in the Old Testament. And the authors wrote them in order for uh, the people, God's people, to be able to, to worship for them to be able to lament, for them to be able to relate with God in the midst of, of their experience. And the Psalms are both expressive, so they help us to see how to relate to God, how to, uh, to share our emotions with God or what we're feeling, our circumstances with God. Uh, but they're also formative, and they help us to direct our emotions uh, in a Godward direction and help us to, to shape them and respond um, in a way that, that honors God. And so that's where we're going uh, this morning uh, in the Psalms. And in this Psalm in particular, this Psalm uh, shows us how, how to worship, how to worship God and, and who God is. And in particular, this Psalm talks about God's majesty. And, and we know this because it's, it's the first verse in our passage and the last verse in the passage uh, mentions God's majesty, how majestic his name is. In all the earth. So as I was preparing for this morning, as I began to, to dig into this, I was thinking, wow, how in, in 30 minutes, how in the world am I going to be able to share the goodness and the, and the greatness uh, of God and to do it any sort of, of justice? And fortunately, I, I can rest in the fact that, honestly, I'm just not going to be able to do that completely. And, and a pastor and theologian before us uh, put it this way, Charles Spurgeon said, For no heart can measure, no tongue can utter the half of the greatness of Jehovah. The whole creation is full of his glory and radiant with the excellency of his power, his goodness, and his wisdom are manifested on every hand. And so the reality is, and what this passage is going to be talking about some this morning is, is recognizing God's majesty and his greatness through creation and through what he has, has made. Okay? And the reality is creation is, if you stop and, and take notice, it's honestly pretty, uh, pretty darn awesome. And uh, so I was browsing a popular science uh, website this weekend, and uh, I wanted to share with you some headlines that I came across that I, I felt like had a pretty high cool factor and uh, also did a pretty good job of communicating God's, God's creativity and God's uh, hand in creation. And so the first one is, is this. Uh, plants release chemical weapons and deploy insect armies in their defense. What? <laughs> what? Okay, this is, this is nature at, at work. Um, or how about, how about this one? Hummingbirds are more efficient than helicopters when it comes to hovering. Right, so we're trying to catch up with, with creation in our, in our technology. And I couldn't help but think as I read this, kind of the, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. All right, so God's already got this down and, and, and demonstrated it in creation. Or, for all you vegetarians out there, how about this one? Plants can hear themselves being eaten. What? <laughs> like, really? Uh, but there's science to, to, to back this up. And the article talked about, you know, organism's life responds to the stimulus. And so it was basically advocating that the plants can respond to uh, that stimulus, which is, is pretty awesome to think about. Um, or to demonstrate our fragility, 
and how dependent we are upon God's hand and how he stewards and, and cares for us. This one, Earth narrowly missed a potential devastating solar superstorm in 2012. And the article went on to talk about how basically what this would have done is it affected our technology in, in such a way that it would have set us back to the 1800s. And uh, that's what have, would have happened. And we narrowly missed that, which I don't think was by coincidence, but um, that's, that's what the article talked about is how we missed that. And so where I want to go with this this morning is I want to ask the, the question, when's the last time that you have been in, in awe of something? When you have been uh, just left speechless or in a place where, where all you can do is take in uh, the grandeur of, of your surroundings and, and what it is that's in front of you? Um, so for some of you, this may have been standing at the edge of the, of the Grand Canyon or at the base of a mountain or overlooking the, the ocean. And you're just amazed by what's around you. Or for some of you, if you're like me, it's about getting uh, outside of the city and to be able to look up and to, to see the stars on a, on a clear night and to be just in awe of that. Uh, kind of like this, this picture, which I did not take, um, this picture where you look at that, and if you've ever seen anything like that in, in real life, it's just mind-blowing as you look up and, and see the stars and see creation. And so last year, I had the opportunity to actually go to visit some friends in, in rural uh, Wyoming. And uh, my host encouraged me that night to go outside and to just step outside their door and, and to look up. And so I did that one night when I was there. And uh, it was dark, like, around me. Like, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, okay? And this was bear country, okay? So I was a little intimidated. I'm like, if a bear was behind me, I, like the spider, I would, never even, I would never even know it. I would never even know what was happening. Uh, but as I looked up, I saw an image like, like this and just floored. And so I felt incredibly vulnerable, incredibly small, but yet in awe and wonder of, of God's creation, and so in those moments like that, we can sense or we perceive God's awesomeness and his presence, the potential to sense his presence all the more uh, in those moments. And that, that is where our psalmist is. David is the author of this psalm, King David. That's where he is. And that's what the psalm is, is declaring. And we'll notice as we dig in, he doesn't actually ask us to, to do anything in this psalm. He's not commanding. He's not telling us anything except declaring the glory and the majesty of God. And so what are the ways that, that God does this? How does God declare his majesty? And we'll see that more, more in the psalm. So in verse 1, the psalmist writes this. It says, You have set your glory above the heavens. And in another psalm, Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So the purpose, the purpose of creation is to magnify and declare the beauty and the glory of God. So a, a starry night, a day spent watching the animals at the zoo or, or reading a cool science headline, all of those things should point us back to God and his glory is demonstrated through all of those things. And so the first way that God displays his glory to us is through his creation. But the psalmist doesn't stop there. He mentions another way. And this way may be one that, that you might not expect. 
and that is through weakness, that God displays his glory, his majesty through weakness. So verse 2 talks about children and infants, that God has established a stronghold from the mouths of children and infants. And we can ask, okay, what's, what's that about? The purpose here is, is communicating that God demonstrates his glory. God uses weakness to overcome strength. That his glory is most visible, not in our strength, not in our cunning, but in our weakness and in our dependence upon him. See, God chooses to display his glory through the weak to accomplish his purposes. And we see this repeatedly in Scripture. The story, if, if you remember the story of, of David and Goliath, that a small boy defeats a giant. Or there's a story about Gideon, a, a leader of God's people, who takes 300 men, only 300 men, and defeats an entire army. Okay. And so as I was contemplating this, just to give you a, a glimpse into my, my twisted brain here, um, I couldn't help but think about this being like two men going into battle. And one is given a, a tank, and the other one is given one of those foam pool noodles. Okay? And the guy with the pool noodle wins. Okay? How much more does that magnify the skill and the ability, the power of, of the guy who would win in that case? And similarly, God declares, demonstrates his glory, demonstrates his strength and his power through, through weakness. And so that is what the babies and the infants here represent uh, in our psalm. And the psalm doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us that God, to show us that God demonstrates his majesty through his love. And so what I want you to notice this morning is that our psalm starts out, if you look back at verse 1, it starts out with a very personal, a very personal touch. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. See, there's, there's emotion present in these words. And it's amazing to stop and think about this. The psalmist here okay, is using a, a possessive, a word tied to relationship, while also talking about the majesty of the creator of the universe. So he's talking about the greatness and how big and powerful God is, but yet he uses a word of relationship and belonging when talking about him. So let's keep going. We're going to take a look at verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. So earlier I mentioned how when you observe the greatness of creation, it can often leave you feeling pretty small and uh, humbled. And, and this is where David, the author, is at. He sees the greatness of creation and the work of God and thinks, wow, wow, what, what am I in the midst of all of this? What am I? And, and David was no um, small figure in the sense of his status, and his authority, he was king of what at the time was one of the most powerful nations in the world. 
And here he is, a king, saying this, like, wow, what, what am I? What, what is man? Theologian Thomas Chalmers put it this way. He says, We gave you but a feeble image of our comparative insignificance when we said that the glories of an extended forest would suffer no more from the fall of a single leaf than the glories of the extended universe would suffer though the globe we tread upon and all that it inherits should dissolve. His language there was kind of somewhat complicated, but what he's saying is comparatively, comparatively speaking, our humanity and our planet in the scope of the universe is, is tiny. It's tiny. And like a leaf in a forest, the forest would be no more affected by that one leaf being gone. And our universe would take notice of our, of our planet being gone in comparison, looking at the grandeur and the size and the scope of the universe. But David recognizes something here in this psalm. He says that God is mindful of him. That God is mindful of him. I mean, really, why should God bother with with us? Why should God bother with humanity? When you think about what he has done and the greatness of his creation, and that reality, that reality that he would be mindful of us should really shock us. That should really amaze us to think that God isn't remote, but that he knows us and that he cares for us. And I want to pause on this point for a little bit because I think, uh, I think honestly, we need to hear this this morning. And honestly, I think it's something that's often hard for us to believe. And so I want to ask the question, what does it mean for, for you? What does it mean for you to be, for God to be mindful and to care for you? What does that look like for you to, to know that? What do you sense? What do you feel as I say that? Do you believe that? And so I want to share another verse with you. This is in Colossians. This is New Testament, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Have it on the screen here for you. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What we see in, the, in this passage is that, that God is calling us to be imitators of who he is, to bear his image, to have the character and to to treat other people and to have the character of the presence with them that he has with us. And so everything here that God calls us to is also true of himself and who he is. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? That means that God is compassionate towards you, if this is true. God is compassionate towards you. It means God is kind towards you. 
that God in the person of Jesus Christ humbled himself and was meek for you. That God is patient with you. That God bears with you. And lastly, and this one is explicit in the passage, that God has forgiven you. He has forgiven us. And honestly, I think some of us need to hear that this morning. And it may be hard. It may be hard to to believe that as we really stop and think about that. And I want to say, you know what? That's understandable. That's understandable that sometimes that would be difficult uh, because the circumstances in your life may be pretty darn difficult right now. And maybe it's hard to believe that because of your circumstances, because of what's going on in your life or around you, it may be hard in that moment to think, you know what, yeah, God's compassionate. Or maybe you haven't seen that demonstrated to you. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, been hurt by others, by your family. Maybe compassion hasn't been shown to you or modeled for you. And so it's hard to say, yeah, God's compassionate, God's kind. But why... Why is that? If God is mindful of us, if God cares for us, then why can life be so difficult? So I think the, our next few verses can share, can shed some light on that. So looking again, rereading verse 4 and continuing to verse 8. Again, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. All right, so what is this talking about here? With dominion, what's that about? Dominion over creation. Um, how are you guys doing? Doing with that this morning? Dominion over over creation. Um, some of you going to wake up tomorrow and uh, have a case of the the Mondays, and be like, I don't have dominion over my own life today, let alone uh, dominion over all of of creation. Um, it mentions in our passage. It mentions beast of of the field. Okay. How about spending a night alone in the wilderness of, of Montana with the, the mountain lions and the grizzly bears? And uh, tell me how much dominion you think you have over that. And I'll even throw in a foam pool noodle for you. Um, pretty intimidating, okay? But see, in, in God's work, in his work of creation, he made the first man and the first woman. He made Adam and Eve. And he gave them dominion over creation. He told them to to rule or to steward it, to be the caretakers of it. And he gave them authority over it. But what happened is that Adam and Eve chose to rebel. They chose to disobey God. And when they did that, they introduced sin and brokenness into creation that because of their rebellion and our inheritance of it, we see our relationships with creation. We see our relationships with, with each other 
and our relationship with God was, was broken, that death was introduced into creation. But this wasn't the way that God created it to be. And this is where God steps in and he demonstrates his love and his care for us. That in this is where God demonstrates his glory through weakness. And there there are a few cases in in Scripture, actually there, there are several cases, where we get a better understanding of Old Testament Scripture, so Scripture written before before Jesus, through it being mentioned in New Testament Scripture, so Scripture written during the time and after Jesus. And it gives us insight into, into the Scripture. Now, here at Trailhead, we believe that, that all of Scripture, all of the stories of, of the Bible, it tell a single story. And that story is of God's redemption, His love for us, and that story reaching the climax in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so in the New Testament book of Hebrews, the author references our passage in Psalm 8. And we get to see how it applies to the person and to the work of Jesus. And so let's take a look at that. And sorry, this may be a little small um, to read. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and our passage here, his reference, says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now I'm putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So there's a lot there uh, in that passage. But what it's talking about is talking about Jesus in order to fix the problem of sin and the brokenness of creation, the Son of God would take on flesh. He would come to earth as a baby, come in weakness and in humility. That he would, he would live the life, the perfect life that we couldn't live. And in the ultimate act of love and compassion and humility, that Jesus would submit himself to death. The creator of the universe, the one who made the universe, the angels who made humanity, would humble himself, taking the punishment that we deserved for cosmic treason against God. How is that for compassion? Knowing that the ruler of the universe would take our punishment for us. And we have the promise that as we acknowledge that it didn't stop there, that we believe that after Jesus' death, that he was resurrected and that he gives us eternal life when we, when we believe in him. 
in Jesus' resurrection, Scripture calls it the first fruits. And the, so the first fruit is a sign that more is to come, that you see the first harvest beginning. That Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits of God beginning to restore his creation. And so what that means is that it won't always be like this. The brokenness we see now won't remain, but that God has begun the work of restoring his creation. And the scripture tells us in this passage in Hebrews that Jesus has given dominion and that one day there will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. And we've done nothing to earn release from that. But when we believe in Jesus, we're given that. It's a gift that he has done that for us on our behalf. And so I mentioned at the beginning of today's message that that what this passage is about is about God's majesty. And my hope for you this morning is that, that you would get a glimpse of that. Why? Because I believe that when we do, when we begin to sense God's majesty, when you get a glimpse of it, we get joy. We get joy. We get a greater sense of his presence when we acknowledge his creation. We get a greater sense of his love when we acknowledge what it is that he's done for us and how the creator of the universe humbled himself and showed us compassion. And this is what I believe that David, our psalmist, is experiencing. This is what he sensed, and he was overwhelmed by it. And so what I want to wrap up with this morning is, is what happens when we lose our sense of wonder. When we lose our sense of wonder at God's creation, we lose our sense of worship and being in awe of God. We forget that God is mindful of us and cares for us, and we lose a sense of his presence and a sense of his love. We can feel weak and forget that it is precisely the weak that God uses to demonstrate his strength, and he loves to give to the weak joy for his glory, and that he wants to do that with us. And so what the psalmist in this chapter is calling us to is to worship. He's calling us to worship and to see God's majesty and to see God's love and how he has demonstrated it to us. So as we conclude this morning, I want to leave you with with three questions to consider. Three questions to to examine your heart and, and to pray about this morning. The first is, what part of your life do you feel like God isn't mindful of? Is there something going on in, in your life that, that you may be asking the question, where is God at the, in the midst of this? Is he really mindful of me? And I want to encourage you to, to face that head on this morning, to ask those difficult questions and to pray, to talk to God honestly, because I believe that that will be an opportunity for him to reveal his truth to you and to communicate his love and his mindfulness to you. And we would love to join you in that. And so feel free to to grab a leader um, 
And we would love to pray with you in the midst of that and talk with you more about that if you have questions. Next, what's keeping you from having a sense of awe and wonder towards God? Do you, do you sense that? Do you experience that regularly? And if not, just asking the question, why? Why is that? Is it that we just don't you know, stop and smell the roses, in a sense, and pause to take a moment to see God's glory and to see God's goodness? Is it that we don't trust God, that we don't, we don't believe? And so I'm inviting you to this morning is just to ask yourself the, the hard questions and to explore that. And then lastly, what can you do this week to create space for awareness of God. So this is on the practical end. If you can say, answer either of those two prior questions, and say, you know what, I don't sense that God is mindful, or I'm not in awe or wonder of him. Consider this, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. You see, God is still majestic and loving and compassionate, even when we don't acknowledge those things, because that is who God is. And so it's an invitation to experience that to sense that and to be made aware for God to reveal his truth to you. And so I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you don't, you're not sure you believe that, I want to invite you to consider what Jesus has done and what he wants to give you. It's an invitation this morning to that. Again, we would love to talk with you after the service if you have questions or you have doubts that you would like to wrestle through. Um, I'm going to leave you to consider those for a few moments. And I will pray for us, and then we'll share in taking communion together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Psalms in which you reveal your majesty and your truth to us. You demonstrate your love for us, that you remind us of your goodness and your greatness. So, God, I thank you for that. Help us. Help us to believe, God, where we don't believe. Help us to, God, experience the joy of being in awe and wonder at the works of your hands and to be aware that you show compassion to us, that you are mindful and you care for us. And help us, God, to to show that to others, to declare your goodness, to declare your majesty, to, to declare your care, and to be caring and compassionate and kind towards others. Help us to be that kind of of people, Lord. So, God, I thank you um, for your word. I pray, God, that you continue to, to search our hearts and reveal your truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen.